Hey, this is artist Sue Blanchard, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Goh, a musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culturist. And you can email me, aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert, artist, filmmaker, author, and ghost. And welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Dave and I's schedule has been kind of back and forth over the last few weeks. So we weren't able to talk about our pop culture news and what's streaming last week. And we'll get back on track next week or so. But in the meantime, here's part two of an awesome interview we had with Owen Clotty, who was the animator, stop motion animator, visual effects uh, for The Nightmare Before Christmas. Worked with Tim Burton, worked on Charlotte's Web, as well as Harry Potter, and uh, so many other great projects. I mean, he's done stop motion, he's done claymates, and so many great things. Uh, Refer back to last week's episode to hear more about him and his early stages of career, his career, as well as working on The Nightmare Before Christmas, a cult classic, not so much anymore. It's it's a bona fide classic uh, that we love so much. And then you can also check out this part of our interview where he talks about his own films and projects as well. So it's uh, going to be a really, really cool talk. Once again, with Owen Clotty, enjoy this interview on Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, everybody, we're back again with Owen Clate, uh, who uh, is an animator, a producer, a director. Uh, he, he animated on Nightmare Before Christmas. We're going to continue our conversation. Owen, I hope the green room was good. Uh, I hope there was enough food in there for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and we appreciate you uh, sticking around so that we could do part two of this interview. And uh, and I know our studio audience is just g- goes nuts over this kinds of stuff when we do <laughs> when we do, to, you know, to, to a two parter. Right, Al John? It's a, you know what? It's every good cliffhanger, a two parter episode. You get you smash them in the head the first time and then you you you're with their butt in the next one. It's awesome. There you go. I so, spent a week trying to figure out what the hell you're going to ask me next. Yeah, well, you know something? I, I I do want to talk about the fact that San Francisco has a climate that is often cool. Uh, there, There's the, the San Francisco fog, the, the marine layer that comes in. Yep. So it, it never really got hot up there, except for maybe about a month or so out of the year, right? Where you... Right. You know, usually late August into September, it was it would get kind of warm. Uh, so they opted when they when they first took on this warehouse, the Skellington Productions facility, uh, they didn't put air conditioning in. It didn't have air conditioning and they felt like they didn't need to have air conditioning because, hey, 
you know, it might get warm for a couple of days here or there, you know, during one month, but, but, you know, what do we need air conditioning for? And do you remember what it was like in there when there was no air conditioning and you wish there was? Um, yeah, I honestly don't remember it being a big deal for me. Um, I think probably because we had had worse conditions at Colossal or <laughs> winter there, I'd be, we'd be absolutely freezing um, and have to have a heater off to the side to try to go warm up your hands so you can animate once in a while. And then there are other times when it was so hot that, you know, sweat's pouring off your, um, but the lights, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah, when you're on a stop motion set, you're in this enclosed environment with these black curtains all around and you got lights, a lot of lights on your set. So yeah, it could get, it could get hot in there, but I think I was kind of used to that and, you know, so it didn't bother me a lot. I'm so it, it it wasn't it wasn't one of your scenes, and I forget whose scene it was, but there was a scene that had some flat trees that were done with foam core, uh, and uh, as part of the set, and it got very humid one day, and apparently some of that material started to move and change, oh. <laughs> you know, and slightly start to curve or curl if you will and uh and as they were doing the shot you could actually see that happening in, in the background elements and i don't know if you remember that or if you remember being in dailies for that i don't remember that in particular um just in general you're always fighting that kind of thing especially because the shots in nightmare would take so long it's not like you bang out a shot in a couple hours and move on to the shot most of them were a couple days or, or longer. So you're always dealing with a set staying overnight. So the camera guys would have to come in at least a half an hour early to turn on all, all the lights and warm up the set in the morning so that the wood would expand. Like the set is built of wood and everything, um, you know, it, things would contract and, and expand a little bit or when it got hot or cold and in the middle of a shot, yeah, that could cause problems. Um, so I don't remember that specific one, but it was always something you'd have to be aware of and try to deal with. And, um, yeah. And you took, you, you took precautions like right. turning right. the lights on and letting the set warm up for a certain amount right. of time and those kinds of things, which right. is terrific. Um, I, I think if they were to make that film today, I think it would be a fully air conditioned climate control facility. Ideally, uh, that's but, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but 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 back in back then, it was it, it it was it was guerrilla filmmaking. It really was. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, there were definitely hot days. People would, you know, one guy would strip down to, you know, have no shirt on while he's animating because it would get hot. But. Yeah. Um, I didn't have the body to do that with, so. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, uh when when uh when you finished your job you know finished your animation on uh nightmare before christmas what what was what was your feeling when you 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 obviously went to a crew screening of the movie yeah yeah they had and a, and a rap party, party. yeah yep. i mean what was what was your general sense of uh how the film turned out and uh and the reaction from the critics and the public 
Um, we're very, very excited about it. It was like so cool to, to, we thought the film turned out really well. We were very proud of the work we did on it. Um, I remember it was reviewed on Siskel and Ebert on the, and, uh, I think it was, uh, Robert, Roger Ebert said, everybody who works on that, worked on that film should be very proud of themselves. And it was like getting that kind of a shout out from Robert, Roger Ebert was really cool. And, and obviously two thumbs up from those guys. Oh yeah. Big thumbs up. Yeah. And so they loved it and just everybody. And I actually have, we collected things like it would, it was on the cover. Uh, it was the cover story for, um, uh, Cine, oh, what's it called? Cinemagic? No. Cineworld? Cinefax. Cinefax. Yeah, Cinefax Magazine. Yeah, yeah. it was on, you know, cover article and other magazines, and there were political cartoons that used uh, nightmare <laughs> things. I mean, and, you know, we collected the Burger King watches and stuff, and we were definitely into the whole fun new to us you know world of of the merchandising and all that so we've got boxes full of that kind of stuff downstairs and, and let um, me ask you this like you didn't go right on to another feature did you you, you no. worked on i i'm i'm looking at uh your credits and you worked on claymates which was a video game uh yeah yeah and, and then bump in the night what was the bump in the night i i'm not familiar with that one um again it was it was uh Ken Pontac and Dave Blyman, who worked on Gumby with us, um, they got, and we did this pilot for Lorimar for them, the danger team, and that didn't get picked up, but they did, they spent a year at Lorimar and on Warner Brothers Studio in LA developing another project, which was um, a Bump in the Night. And it was about this little green character who's the monster who lives under the kid's bed and his friend, uh, Squishy the Toilet Monster. And... Uh, <laughs> And they had a friend, Molly, who was this doll who was made out of different parts. And was that all stop motion? All stop motion. It was on, it was for ABC Saturday morning show. Um, so I was the animation director on that for the two years that I was there. And then I ended up leaving and I'm trying to, I always have to remember what I left for. I think it was for James uh, and the giant peach. I guess for James, but I only was that, on for a few months. That, that was the next thing on your, uh, you, you know, on your credits in, in chronological yeah. order is James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, I guess it was and, that, although I was and, only. And then you went on to Dinosaur. Right, right. But um, yeah, it was funny. So, so um, Bump in the Night was picked up, was going through their third year when Disney bought ABC and canceled the show because they wanted to have all the Saturday morning stuff be Disney things. Um, so. Anyway, so that was that. Um, I worked on on James and Giant Peach just for a few months. Did a big a chunk of the dream sequence, the two D dream cutout dream sequence, and uh -huh. some other random shots. But I wasn't on that for that long. And then Monkey Bone was in there. I worked on that for just I think a couple few months. Also did several shots there, but not a lot. Uh, and then ended up down at Disney. Um, working on dinosaur and that's where we really got into computer graphics. And, and I was going to say, cause that was all done CG. Right. Right. And, and how was that for you? Um, uh, it was, it was really good. It was great to learn it. I mean, actually 
when we signed us up, that was during the big boom time in the nineties when, when, you know, things were really booming and computer graphics was really getting going and they were desperate for animators and stop motion animators generally seem to make the transition into CG in many cases easier than traditional cell animators did um, for a variety of reasons. Um, So anyway, we got hired. Well, you're, you're, you're working with, you're, you're working with three dimensional objects within digital space and right. you're you're creating poses and everything like you would do in uh in stop motion right and another thing is if you've worked in stop motion and you've worked around motion control that's computer controlled camera motion and you're used to working with function curves to be able to do motion control and stuff right. and that's what animation and cg was all about was function uh, function curves and things so there's a lot of technical overlap there that that made the transition easier and the fact that when we got hired at disney and got on contract with them and moved down to la um they really didn't have the project ready to go. They just were snapping up people and building this whole new studio. So we spent over a year basically just learning computer graphics while they training. were developing the story. Yeah. You you were training and, the, yeah. and the, the the story was always the issue at Disney Animation. You yeah. know, there was there was always multiple iterations and stuff getting ripped apart and yep. back up totally. and all of that. that happened uh, and time. and you were you were at the Northside facility. Uh, I'm sure our paths crossed because I was working on Fantasia 2000 oh. uh, on the second floor in that building. Oh, and, okay, yeah. And just so our listeners know, it, it was the old Lockheed Skunk Works building, right, uh, right by Burbank Airport. So it was right. kind of a storied building to be in. Absolutely. Yeah, we started out in the Chastain building off of Flower Street, right, so, and moved yeah. to the North Side. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so when when did you decide to uh, leave California? Um, well, like, let's see, after we worked in about 10 years of stop motion in San Francisco, then moved down to L.A. and worked for about 15 years in computer graphics, doing a variety of things, ended up going to Australia at one point to work on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, part one. I was the animation soup on that for some of that stuff. Um, and then I ended up getting back into CG, uh, stop motion, worked on a, a little film called Helen Back, and then I worked on Anomalisa. But by that time, you know, we're getting to the point where we're about ready to to retire and to be a lot easier. And also to get our daughter back near family here in Milwaukee, because we're both from here and our family's yeah. here and my mom was getting old and all that. So we decided to to come back to Wisconsin. And so that's why I'm teaching part-time and, and sort of semi-retired. And, and so that was kind of a shock to the system going from Southern California to Wisconsin. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say, at least from a weather standpoint? <laughs> yeah, but we like it actually. Um, yeah. No, we grew up here. So we're used to the snow and the cold and all that stuff. And um, we actually don't mind shoveling snow. <laughs> um and they're, you know, yeah, people think thought we were crazy to come back. A lot of people ask, why did you move back here? <laughs> um, but no, we don't mind the snow that much. And especially since we were semi-retired, we didn't have to get out and get in the car and drive across town every day. We, you know, so yeah. it makes it a lot easier if you don't have to go every somewhere all the time. Um, and and we miss the seasons. I mean, LA doesn't have weather, it has climate, right? Wisconsin right. has weather. 
and yes. it changes day yes. to day and season to season, and it's really distinct and and um, beautiful. Right now, it's fall and the trees are turning, and it's great. Yeah, it's one one of the things I miss uh, uh, because I'm from the East Coast. I I do miss the fall when the mm-hmm. leaves change. It's really I think one of the most beautiful times of year. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I do miss it because it was, uh, 85 or almost 90 today out here. I must so. say though, I love Wisconsin. I love the people. Yeah. I love the food. I love the weather except for the winters. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, it is a great state in a lot of ways. There's some great stuff and yeah, it gets cold, but actually the other thing is, I hate to say it, but global warming is making it easier to be here than it used to be. You know, the snow isn't as bad as it used to be when we were growing up here. And, uh, you know, it's not as cold. The winters aren't as cold or snowy in general. Or at least you don't remember them being as cold. No, <laughs> no it's really not. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So so you're back in Wisconsin. And I want to talk yeah. about, because you, you're teaching. And can you talk a little bit about where you're teaching and what you're teaching? Yeah, uh, at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Um, I'm teaching stop motion animation, just one class a semester, and then also a business of animation class once a year where I just talk about what the business is like and how to get into it, how to do a demo reel, that kind of thing. Um, but it's just fun, you know, teaching and, these basics of stop motion. And, and are you only wanting to do part time or do you have they tried to get you to do full time or uh, just I just want to do part time? Yeah, they've asked me to do more, and I just don't want to. <laughs> I want to be more retired, not less, because I okay. really enjoy. You know, I want. There's other stuff I want to do, like my film. Well, and, and that's and and that's a perfect segue because you did a film called Of Wood, which yeah. is absolutely it blew me away. Actually, you know, and I've seen so much animation over the years. I just absolutely love this, partly because I do wood sculpture. Oh, do you? Uh, yeah, I do wildlife sculptures out of wood. Uh, I've always been sort of like hands on building stuff and things like that. So I'm familiar with working with wood and carving wood. And okay. so this uh, this short that you did of wood really resonate, really resonated with me because I was looking at it not only for the story you were telling. but mm-hmm also the technique that you were doing and just marveling at how long this had to have taken you to do. So my first question is to, to ask you, did you carve this entire film out of that one block of wood? Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's an 18 inch diameter round of wood. It's a, just a chunk of a tree. And, um, and and it starts out, by the way, I, I just want our listeners to hear this. Yeah, it, it is this round sort of s- section out of a tree trunk right. that has its bark on it. Yep. And you essentially start to peel the bark away. We see the title. You're carving all of this in. You're using the actual piece of wood. Right. Right. And yeah, it's 18 inch around and I carved my way through the whole thing till I have at the end, I don't know if I should give away what the end is, but a, a sculpture basically at the end. That, that yeah, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler but, alert. It's uh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it, it's absolutely incredible. And, and so the, the question I have for you is 
how how did you do it and how long did it take to do because it's it seems to be one continuous six minute is it five minutes or the film is seven minutes long the actual animation you know with credits and everything the animation is about six plus yeah so it's a little over six six minutes of film time where i'm sitting there looking at this one and by the way I looked at it a couple of times and I was staring at things like to see, is this going to shift a little? Is there a bump? Is there a, it it doesn't move. It does not move. I'm really, I'm serious folks. When you see this short film of wood, it's remarkable. So, so tell us, just tell us the process. All right. Um, Okay. So this film, the Genesis was literally, 30, 40 years ago, basically going back to seeing the cool independent short films that got me inspired to get into this business in the first place. And I always wanted to make a short film of my own other than beyond what I just, sorry, beyond what I just did in uh, college, Um, but never had the time and, you know, was working busily all the time. So this was my opportunity, semi-retired, be able to do this. So I started thinking about what do I do with this 25 plus years of animation skills that I'd built up. And I just thought, what do I like? And I like wood. I like trees. I like wood sculpture, although I've never done any. Um, I really appreciate wood sculpture. If you do it, I'd like to see what you've done. Um, So I wanted to do something with wood. And then I thought about animating wooden characters uh, like George Pal, but it's been done. I eventually just thought I want to do something that had never been done before, as far as I know. And that was carving into wood. I don't know exactly how it came about, but it was just this process, long process of thinking about what I want to do. And that's what I came to. So then, uh, and it's basically after it's doing bas relief carving with enough roundness to be able to use shadows to give the things form, but not so deep that, so I did a test in clay first, just to be able to figure out what the lighting would look like and what could I do with it and, experimented with a few things took me like 80 over 80 hours to shoot my clay test um but i learned what i needed to learn from that and um went out and went to a got a hunk of wood from a landscaping company and had them cut a slice basically of this tree and um built a set to put it on and just developed so i so basically the whole thing did start out purely as an exercise an experiment in technique I didn't have an idea of what I was going to do with it yet, but I wanted to try. I just thought the technique would be interesting enough and challenging enough that that would be worth doing. So then I started thinking about, well, what do I do with that? And an environmental theme seemed to come to mind pretty quickly that it would be something about, you know, environment. And um, and, and there's a bit of a history lesson going on. Well, my great, right, right, right. The evolution of technology and, you know, right, right. My, I, I love history. So yeah. that's just a, a, something I, I'm really into and literature and environmentalism and wood. And um, anyway, so I wanted to incorporate history. It just made sense to, if I'm going to talk about wood and what is wood happened over the centuries. So there's this whole, yes, there's, so it just developed this idea of, um, going through the different phases of history and how wood was used in those different phases. 
And then to a point where excessive consumerism starts to become just kind of crazy. And that makes a statement that hopefully people would relate to. I always thought this that it would the film would get attention for the technique, at least amongst animation nerds who could understand how tough it was. I, I never felt very confident about the story and whether it would work as a film and whether people would get it or like it. But I just thought, okay. Wow. Oh, I will tell. I, I, I'm going to tell you from this animation nerd's perspective. I think you 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 hit a bullseye on both fronts because cool. the story resonated with me and and read. In other words, I I I understood what was happening with the story, uh, and I was still enamored with the technique itself. Great. Well, you know, and, yeah. and the question I have, because you said something earlier, like you, 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 you built a set. So I, I, just so our audience understands this, this piece of wood, this, this round sort of section out of a, uh, a tree trunk uh, is on a workbench, what appears to be a workbench. Right. Did you actually build a set to put this on? And how did you secure that hunk of wood? Yeah, I first was going to try to shoot it on the actual little workbench that's in my basement, but it, I couldn't, I needed more depth of, I just, it just wasn't going to work. So I had to build a set and I built a workbench that is larger than life, like deeper than a regular real workbench would be. Yeah. And uh, so you know, and, and I had, and I didn't have any technical support. I mean, I, I would, some of the thank yous at the end of the film are for people I would call up and say, how do I do this? And what do I have to do with my camera? And, you know, I, being in Milwaukee, I didn't have a support group to help figure out, you know, do the camera work for me, which I always had working in the industry. So I had to figure all that out. Um, but yeah, but it is, it is, a, it is a locked off camera. Well, there's a zoom at the beginning and, uh, right. Okay. The camera first zooms in. So I shot this with a zoom lens. And I, 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 one thing I love about this is I used about every technique I ever learned on Gumby. The zoom was not, I had no motion control. I had, so the zoom was done with a foam core rig. The same thing we would use on Gumby back in 1987. We were taught to do with that. And it's just like, We'll try to explain that, but I was using foam core and 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 screws to do this zoom. Um, and uh, so anyway, I did a lot of very very low tech gorilla kind but, of things. But but right, you know. So after after that zoom at the beginning, though, it's, it's locked. locked. It's yeah. locked off, and, yeah. and you shot digitally. Yeah, yeah, shot on a Canon. Okay, and and, and, and then, this Dragon Frame, the new software. The so so the question is. How do you not bump the camera? Because I, I, I mean, I'm going to ask you how long from start to finish did it take you to carve that block with all of that? I mean, beautiful detailed work yeah. uh, that comes and goes. I mean, you, 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 you carve down to an image and then carve that image away to create a new image, you know? So yeah. So from from you know how, how many hours how, how many days how many months uh years um okay about a year and a half i think of figuring it all out and building my set and all that stuff and doing some tests and then just shy of 4 years of actual shooting wow. um you know not like every day but i calculated uh it's something like 2600 hours of of animation over the 4 years um, you know, I'd try to do 
10 or 15 hours a week if I could, whenever I could squeeze it in, basically. Um, some weeks I'd get almost 40 hours, but rarely. And, and I take it you were using a, a set of chisels, a set of wood chisels. Yeah, uh, that was most of the animation was done with hammer and chisel, but also I used a lot of different Dremel tools at times for yeah. things and exactly for, fi for finer, finer details and things like yeah, that. Yeah, right? yeah. And there's this other thing I didn't end up using very much. It's basically you take a big grinding tool. And there's this thing you can buy. It's basically a circular chainsaw. Yes. Yes. I'm familiar with it. Yes. And you can, that thing will chew through wood like amazingly fast. Yes. I actually yes. tried to use it early on just where, and it was just too much. I mean, you it's fast and out of control and I need to be slow and precise control to do animation. So I used it a couple of times for places, but not but much. Let me ask you this. You, you said you used a, a, a chisels and a hammer or a mallet. Yeah. Uh, how did that, how did the block not move? So uh, how did you oh. secure the block? Well, first of all, the set I built is built really, really strong. Right. Um, Cause I knew I might end up standing on the set if at, at times. I mean, that's one thing I learned from the years of, you know, you build a set really strong, so it will move and glued it down to the floor so that it wouldn't move. And then the bolt, the, uh, the actual wood is had three big lag bolts from below into okay. it. So that thing never moved. And right. the camera was across the room, kind of far away, actually, and cordoned off. So it was never going to get bumped. Um, the biggest problem I had was an ongoing nightmare was I found that my lens, the zoom lens I was using actually was not really stable. So I was constantly having to go back and, you know, I'd come in and, and try to flip between the previous frame and the live frame wherever I picked up and it would be a little off and I'd have to jiggle things around and mess with the lens. It was a nightmare that I did end up in post. I had to do some stable, a stabilization pass to wow. get it. It, was, it wasn't too bad, but I went through a stabilization pass just yeah. to kind of clean up the little bits of stuff like that that were a problem. And there was flickering. I mean, the lights, it's just in my house in the basement. Um, and I went through like 35 different lamps, you know, bulbs, in the course of the uh, over the whole period so so, so you're going to you're going to have some exposure changes as you're right. watching it but you were able to smooth those out in post yeah i did a little bit of deflickering in post yeah um it, it wasn't too which, terrible but which by the way i want our audience to know that was also an issue on nightmare before christmas oh uh, yeah and they uh they used actually uh skellington productions uh, used uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios down in in Los Angeles to actually do some post uh, wire removal uh, as well as uh, stabilization and also deflicker uh, on a few shots where there were some issues. And I also know that the the tech department at Disney Animation helped out with getting some voltage regulators uh, created for for the lighting up there. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting little things. One is that, yeah, early on, we found that the power in San Francisco, probably any city, is yeah. not really clean enough to get really stable, consistent power levels. So yeah. they had to spend like $25,000 for this big voltage uh, regulator uh, power cleaner. And then... And then we had to work with things like, you know, we had alarms for lights. Well, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, but so but, but and, and, and also again for our listeners, just for their knowledge, when you look at the very early black and white animated films, like you know the the Fleischer Brothers or the old Oswald cartoons, or even the early Mickey Mouse black and white cartoons that that Walt did, um, you will see light flicker in that, and that mm-hmm. is because of the irregular uh, voltage. Yeah. Uh, for the lighting, because you're filming frame by frame, there may be a few minutes between each frame when you're changing cells out against the background, and then right. you're going to expose a frame again. The voltage may be slightly dimmer or slightly brighter uh, right. than the the previous frame that you shot. And so that's what gives you that, that little bit of sort of flicker that goes on in those animated films. And if you took all that flicker out in those animated films, they just wouldn't look right. They wouldn't look up the period, (laughs) but it's the kind of thing you don't want in contemporary filmmaking. Right. Right. For sure. So that was your, that was one of your big problems was lighting, huh? Uh, Well, it didn't turn out to be too big a problem. The, the lens issue and the, and the stabilization, if you like scroll scrub through the film, now at kind of high speed, you can see things shifting around, but it, it's not so much at, at place at regular playing speed. It isn't a problem. So, yeah. So I, yeah, it took four years to shoot and uh, um, it was pretty crazy. And then about three months of post-production because it's all these things that are on wires and rods and things and that I had to paint the rods out and stuff. Sure. Did you, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, did you do any of the post work at the university or did you do it at a post facility in Milwaukee? Um, well, most of the rod removal, I just did myself and my wife did a bunch and I hired a couple of students to do a little bit of that, some of that too. And is that basically just going into Photoshop and, or are you using some sort of special software for that? Um, yeah, well, you have to plan it. Um, I used a capability in dragon frame, the frame grabber software that I used to do this project, which would have been impossible without dragon frame. Um, when I knew that there was a place where I was going to have to remove a rod, I would actually have to, and you can do this in Dragon Frame, you shoot the beauty pass of the animation, the way it's everything is, but with the rod in there, then you, I had to take out the puppet or whatever was being held up by rods and stuff. I'd take them out and shoot what's a background plate, another frame of that. So then in in the post-production in Photoshop, you go in and load those two things in as a layer and you can paint out the rods. Got it. In some cases, when I had multiple, a lot of things going on, I had to actually have two different background plates and shoot three exposures for each frame. Um, So, you know, that work was done by myself and and my wife and other people. And then the actual deflickering and and stabilization passes were done at uh, local production facility and, that, and that's basically a software uh based kind yeah, of yeah i think there is DaVinci for that yeah and, and uh what are you doing with this film and how can how can our listeners see this film because i i can't i i I was gushing to Al John about it last week uh, and, uh, you know, I had sent him the link uh, that you sent me so that he could look at it. But how can how can people see this film? Well, uh, it's been making the festival circuit so far it's been accepted in about 40 festivals around the world. Um, it's won awards in a few. Um, it's going to be playing in the Bay Area. It's going to be playing at the Mill Valley Film Festival. Okay. In- 
early November, I think it is. Yeah, and that's a big animation festival up there, isn't it? It's a all kinds of yeah. Well, it's like a film. It's a it's the Mill Valley of Film Festival. So it's got a bunch of different things, but there's a big animation component to it. Yeah. And um, let's see, it's playing at the Ojai for the LA area people. It's in the Ojai Festival coming up. Um, and I'm let's see, it's just it's playing and, a lot. And, and I'm also imagining that like a, a number of these film festivals that you're submitting to are also qualifiers for uh, Motion Picture Academy. Yeah, if you win the grand prize of the festival, um, okay, it's interesting because I, I don't really I people say that, and it's like I don't think it would make that. I don't think it would get nominated even if I. I oh my gosh, I, I got to tell you something, <laughs> Owen. I've been a member of the Motion Picture Academy for like thirty plus years. Okay, and yeah. I I will tell you that I have gone and done the bake offs where you have to watch all the submissions that come in and whittle it down. And my God, Owen, I watched your (laughs) film of wood. This deserves airplay folks. This absolutely deserves airplay. It is, it is absolutely gorgeous. Al John, what'd you think of it? It is heartwarming. I love, I love it. First of all, I love um, my dad, you know, he's an aerospace engineer, but he's a carpenter at heart and I work in guitars. So I'm surrounded by some of the finest luthiers in the world building custom guitars every day. And I love, I love the woodworking aspect, but the story is great. Animation is, I mean, it's, it's second to none. It's so good. It's so good. Just from a fan's perspective. Yeah. I was totally enamored with it. So congratulations, Owen. It's a great film. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I've never done any wood carving before. So that was part of the thing. I actually took a little class like Saturday afternoon classes at the local like adult education thing just to learn so how do you carve wood and what tools do you use and stuff it's Um, absolutely amazing you have a future you have a future owen you could always come down and and work in nashville and 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 totally you and dave both you have another career in woodworking and carving if you ever want to do some custom guitars you let me know i'll I'll tell you i'll tell you what al john some of the images in this film would look beautiful on the body of a guitar uh you're not kidding some of those reliefs that owen did they're they're just spectacular spectacular yes it's so cool to hear I, I a lot of people who do woodworking and stuff have talked about that and come up to say oh my uncle really he's gonna love this film and all that um so that's i really appreciate that because i do love wood i've just never done much with it except you know looking at it appreciating yeah. so i think that's you know what what one of the things that's interesting to me and i wanted to ask you about this this chunk of wood you start with uh was it dried was had it been kiln dried or no this was i went to a landscaping company and this was some tree they had cut down and they cut a chunk out of it for me and i had no idea going in what i was going to find like i didn't know if i didn't know if, i don't know enough about wood to know whether it would it dry out by itself would it start checking you know cracking in places right. would i have to work around that but that's part of the fun of it too and the yeah. adventure of trying this technique and sure enough i got inside it didn't do the big things that i thought like like i say big cracks and stuff but there are knot holes that come that, that was the one thing i noticed as you started carving these reliefs back all of a sudden i saw this knot and i was like uh-oh you know because i know knots can be you know troublesome when yeah. you're carving oh, yeah. and yeah. they're, and they're difficult to carve. And I'm sure you probably used your Dremel tools on some of that stuff. 
Yeah. And the biggest thing was, yeah. So a, a, a knot would start coming through and I'd have to work around it because I, this, I couldn't storyboard this film. Uh, I had sort of the overall plan of where I wanted to go and what it was about, but it was constantly being made up as I went along. So when a, when a knot would come along, I just say, okay, I can't carve there because the knot wood was much more brittle and hard than the rest of the wood. So I knew I couldn't do any fine detail work in there. So I had to like shift where I would have something so that I would, you know, and just hope that the knot didn't get bigger or something. It was a, it was a constant back and forth with that, trying to work around what the wood gave me, you know? Yeah. I, you know, I'm curious, like, you know, if you were to do this again, if, 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 if a corporation came to you and said, Owen, we want that of wood technique done for a commercial of our product. Uh-huh. Uh, w- would you have second thoughts on how you selected your wood? Uh, yeah, I've thought about that. If somebody started throwing money at me to do something like that, like the Wood Products Association <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I would definitely be interested in doing it and either go into it where they would have to have the understanding that you know, something like that might happen and it would have to be part of the the gestalt of the, of the aesthetic of the thing. Or if they really didn't want to have nasty surprises in the middle of the shooting, you know, I, could I take the wood to an x-ray place and find out what the interior of the wood looks like or an MRI or something? I mean, or, or, or you could just select like, you know, a clear, uh, you know, poplar or, or, or a basswood, yeah. you know, that, that okay. is a, a tight grain. It's good to carve uh, and doesn't have any knots in it. If you can find a piece big enough, it depends on what it is that. Yeah, sure. Do. Yeah, for sure. You know, there are, you can buy nice pieces of wood in, in wood carving sh- stores yeah. that maybe would be more clean. But anyway, I do like I do like the I do like the fact that it is that rawness that yeah. you you took home and you unearthed and you peeled back the layers and there is art in there you know it's like I used I used to tell people all the time well, I still tell people all the time that every guitar it, you know comes with all these songs in it and it's up to the player the artist to discover them and I feel yeah. the same way about you and that piece that wood had all these stories to tell and you unearthed the story. And it's a really beautiful thing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It it really is fantastic. And I hope that there is uh, another way for people to be able to see this film, uh, you know, uh, in mass because it's so absolutely beautiful. And, and it's, it is jaw dropping to sit there for six minutes and watch you carve a story in this section of a tree trunk uh, uh, that's sitting on a workbench. I, I mean, I, I looked at it several times, like I said earlier, and I was trying to figure, like, is the thing moving at all? Like, what's going on here? How's he doing this? You know, I was trying to catch catch something that I could say, ah, okay. I I, I just saw it wiggle a little bit. But, I mean, it was so flawlessly done, Owen, that you you should be incredibly proud of this film. And, and I really do hope that you submit it to the Motion Picture Academy so that the wider 
uh, Academy community can see this kind of a movie because this has the feeling of, uh, you know, the man who planted trees or the river by Frederick Bach that, you know, to me, it, it has that, uh, that sense, not from a technique standpoint, but from an environmental and story standpoint, there, there's such a heart to this film that yeah. I really do hope that you, you get it uh, more widely distributed. Well, yeah. Um, good. Well, thank you. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll try to figure out how to do that. Um, it's, I'm, you know, I'm submitting it to the Annie's, you know, and we'll see if it, and it's going to be on their film of the month. Oh, good. Excellent. Cause so a lot of people see it. I, I hope our friend Ron Diamond, who we've had on this show, who does the uh, animation show of shows. I hope yeah. you talk to him or he's reached out to you. Uh, I talked to him in Annecy, actually. My film got into Annecy and, and I talked to him briefly there. And okay, uh, good. He's he not going to use it and put it in his collection this year, at least. But um, yeah, so I'm kind of open to whatever might come along. But well, you know, I'm terrible with social media. I'm I'm sort of have a web Facebook page for it, but I I'm trying to figure out how all that works. <laughs> well, I so, you know something. I hope that you can uh, put together like a little like teaser. You know, give us give us twenty seconds or something that we could put out on social media to show people and and get some awareness out for you because we'll be happy to do it. Oh, I do have a little teaser. Just I could. Send well, you. send it to me because I'm going to put it up onto my social media channels because I want people to know about this film and I want people to keep their eyes peeled for seeing it, whether it's at uh, a CIFA or uh, at, at a screening someplace in Los Angeles or, or part of a compilation. It's a beautiful right. film. Beautiful Good. film. Well, thank, Molly. You. thank you very much. Well, I, I listen, I want to thank you for being on the Skull Rock podcast. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we were able to talk about, so in front of our studio audience as well, I was glad we were able to talk about all of these uh, stop motion films and nightmare and get into the weeds a little bit with, with, with some of the, the work that you've done on those films, but also to have spent time to talk about Of Wood, your latest short film. And I hope you're already thinking about doing another one because I, I, I'm just enamored by the film and the, uh, the, the, the sheer uh, fortitude to do such a project over such a long period of time. It, it, it's really amazing to me and, and it needs to be seen by a lot of people and we'll help promote it for you. If you send us that, Great. that little sizzle piece. Great. Thank you. Yeah. It was audacious. I guess that's what I would say. <laughs> audacious. <laughs> Owen, thank you for being on the show. All right. Thank you guys very much. It was great. All right. Take care. You too. Bye. And once again, everybody, it's so glad that you have tagged along for the ride. Once again, loving Disney and pop culture. Be sure to send us those emails, Dave or Al John at skullrockpodcast.com. You can also check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget we're on, you know, Apple podcast and anchor Spotify, iHeartRadio, radio, Sorcerer radio network, and tuned in. And uh, Live 365, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. Stitcher Radio, be sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we post things there all the time, so uh, be sure you check it out. 
and we would definitely love to hear from you. There's also a listener feedback in the show notes. There's a number you can call and you can actually send us your voicemails. I'd like to encourage that because we want to hear from you, not only in email form, but also your voice so we can play it on a future episode. Um, I also like to thank our listeners and our shout outs and uh, thank Sure microphones as well gonna drop them a little little plug as well dave absolutely got, yeah. because you sound extraordinary oh thanks your microphone we sound amazing it's so good you really do thank you so uh, much <laughs> well as always everybody peace and love uh go out and have a fantastic uh week uh if you get a chance uh stop by davidbossert.com uh you can see some of my artwork uh that just got put up on the site uh, and uh, also a bunch of uh, animation articles that I've written over the years. If, if you're interested, uh, it's all no charge, obviously, uh, and it's all available for those interested in animation and Disney history and all of that. Uh, go out, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise disney park trip adventures by disney they can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com i'm kristen hetzel vacation planner world traveler disney foodie and theme park fan I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. Even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.